The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend listening after you've already seen the movie in question, but we're not your boss. Do what you like. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. Because we figured, you know, why not? Hope you enjoy the show. Because that's like you're 
multiple things are in the same place, so maybe it's just... Yeah, it... Habit. Is habitate just the verb form habitat? It's like as long, but one different syllable. I think it might be, yeah. I mean, that happens with a bunch of other words, right? So... Probably. Makes sense to okay, after this one, so... Manatee habitated waters. Be careful with your boats. Yeah. It, it, it hurt us. Well, yeah. So, be careful out there. All you non-manatees. And all humanities also, because you never know what's going to happen. There might be all sorts of terrifying things out there that could hit you and injure you or possibly kill you. So we don't want that to happen, because we're, you know... Also, manatees... Manatees can drive boats, like... We got it. Yeah, but but then wouldn't it be just the the sickest of ironies if a manatee that was driving a boat ran over another manatee? Wouldn't that just be sad? Yeah, I mean humans do it like every fifteen seconds or something. Yeah, but those are humans. We expect that kind of thing. We expect that behavior out of humans. They'll be driving a car and they they should know exactly what other humans can do, but they don't. They just run each other Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of. It's a substantial problem. It's pretty bad. There's a lot of money in it. That's true. Not if you're... This is my advice. If you're gonna get hit by a car, try to make sure it's a car owned by a local municipality. (laughs) Um, Like the city or, you know, the water district, the fire department, maybe. Because that's where the money is. If you just get hit by some dude, then it's like, uh, you're both ruined. But you get hit by, like, a city bus and don't die. Cha-ching. Yeah. So, there's your... Or the fed. <laughs> oh, if you get hit by a fed? Yeah, there you oh, go. Shit. You got all the... Well, there's not really that much money in the federal government anymore, is there? But anyway. That's... Oh, there's still quite a bit. Yeah. If you could somehow get hit by an off-duty military <laughs> If you are run over by Air Force One, then... 
if if you're gonna get run over, try your run over by a tank. Yes. That's my solid advice. <laughs> get run over by a Sherman tank. You'll be rolling in dough. Your your body's also gonna be what? dough, but hey, you'll be rolling in actual cash too. Why? Why get hit by a bicycle? You get hit by a twelve thousand pound uh, wall destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, can you actually get? Well, no, I was gonna say if you get run over, because they don't have wheels; they have treads right on the tanks. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know if you still call it runovers. I bet you can get, like, dinked and then it goes on either side of you or something. Maybe. Uh, although I don't know how much clearance they got, I assume not much. I think it's a, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on tankology. Tankonomy? What's the word? Uh, tankography. Tankography, okay. Okay. The, the graphing of tanks. Yeah, because cool. tankology is when you actually drive the thing. Oh, uh, okay. That's nothing. So tankography is is uh is the practice of getting run over by tanks you can craft the tanks from the outside in i'm i'm fairly certain i'm like 90 percent sure that's true okay cool but, uh, by the way everyone i'm sleep deprived as fuck so Sorry if I make less sense than usual. Yeah, Sam's sleepier than you are right now. Yeah. Well, as sleepy as you are. I'm pretty sure I'm sleepier. So, well, we'll see what happens, though. Cool. Yeah. I'm I'm wide awake, but I gotta get well I don't gotta get going soon. But I'm a little time crunched because um it's that season where uh, everything is is due. Um but also I'm trying to be an after social life. And also I got like I got too many Lady friends. Oh, la dee dog. How much it must suck to be you. No, it's actually very stressful. It's, um. It's, um. Everyone knows about each other. It's a casual thing. It's a millennial ass thing, but it's also like, 
Like, you know how when you have, like, one sniff nether and you want to, like, have five days a week when you're not on, and it's fine, you still see them twice a week, and, like, that's plenty, but if you gotta see, like, three people twice a week, it's every damn day I'm showering so much. Yeah, that's also the problem when you have to work. Like, you actually have to be presentable and not be an asshole to people because you had a shitty day the day before. Uh, it's frustrating having to, like... Man, I, I don't know. That is not how I work. <laughs> but fair enough. Well, alright. <laughs> to be fair, you don't... <laughs> you don't work where I work. You don't have to, like... You, well, I don't know. You have to work with... You have to interact with people on a daily basis. It gets yeah, tiring. It's more adversarial where I am, so it kind of helps. Okay, that's fair. No, it's just, it's just tiring for me. It's a bunch of type A lawyer douchebags, uh, so if I'm just, if I'm super cranky, it kind of just makes me more effective. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good for you then. For me, it's like, well, if I... If I have an outburst at somebody, I probably will get written up. It's like, I don't need that. Yeah. I don't need that with me right now. Yeah. Mm. Oh, sorry. Nah, it's okay. Sorry, right, I just, um gonna have to drink a shitload of caffeine to power through the day tomorrow is all and probably the rest of the week but after that after that you get some time off right well, actually, when's this coming out? This is coming out relatively soon to the time we recorded. Like, the last one, I think, was recorded three months before it was actually broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, so this, this month, I made Sam watch one of my favorite movies, it's real bad, it's still one of my favorite movies, uh, 1999's The Mummy, uh, written and directed by Steven Somers, who also went on to do G.I. Joe, <laughs> really? And, uh... Uh, Van Helsing. Oh, God. And, you know, uh, all the other mummy properties, I think. I think he did Return of the Mummy or Revenge of the Mummy or 
Dragon Emperor, Mummy, or whatever. Scorpion King? Maybe, yeah. Huh. But I think that was his, that was his main, main body of work was Mummy and Mummy-related <laughs> accessories. I mean, if you've got, if you've got a style, if you know what you're doing, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So, Sam, what is your experience with this movie? Am I the only one who's seen this like 30 times? Have you also? I, I've seen it. I remember watching it when it came out. Like, I definitely remember seeing it in theaters. Because there are certain scenes of this movie that I remember very distinctly that we'll get to later. But I, I don't think I've seen it since then. So it's been like 20 years since I've watched this movie. But there, again, there are certain scenes of this movie that stick out in my mind. So that's maybe a good sign. But yeah, I remember enjoying it when back when it came out. And we'll we'll talk more about whether or not I enjoyed it again this time when we continue on down the road. Fair enough. So why I I'm big into it. Uh, I think I kind of loved it when it came out when I was like, what? A kid, but not a young kid? Mm-hmm. This is another 1999 one. This is not, uh, to be clear, the Tom Cruise property of the same name, or the Boris Karloff property of the same name. I think those were, what, 2017 and 1932, respectively? I think so, yeah, something like that. Uh, neither of which I've actually seen, both of which I should. I actually really want to see the Boris Karloff one. I've never seen it either, but I really want to. Me too, and it's old enough that I feel like I might crop up for free on YouTube somewhere. I just haven't looked for yeah. it. That's, that's where I'm seeing most of my movies these days, by the way. It's just looking for things that are past the statute of limitations <laughs> on copywriting on YouTube. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of it's fun. It's a good strategy. Seems like black and white westerns and just that weird middle ground between stage acting and film acting where they're kind of holding their heads perfectly still <laughs> and just orating into the camera. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Film. It's, uh... But this one this one, uh, written and directed by Stephen Sommers, I think it said that, uh, stars Brendan Fraser, who 
who I know as Encino Man and George the Jungle. He was also in Blast from the Past and just a bunch of things. He's Brian Fraser, you know. Yeah. I, I might be, but I don't know how to spell or pronounce his name. It's, I think it's Brian Fraser. I think it's Fraser. It's not it's not Fraser like Fraser Crane. I think it's actually Yeah, it's spelled differently. Yeah, it's it's Fraser. Yeah, I think it's Fraser. But this is like peak Fraser. Cause it's nineteen ninety-nine. It's like a couple years after Encino Man, George the Jungle. This is only a few years before he kind of stopped Hollywood for a while. I guess he's back now. He's in Doom Patrol or something. He was gone for like 10 years because he apparently destroyed his body doing this kind of stuff. Which, you know, is a perfectly respectable reason to, to drop off the map. Like, hey, I worked too hard and now I'm torn up. Like, yeah, that's... And you made good movies, thank you. Yeah. Or very enjoyable movies. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> it's, I like them a lot. Not really the same thing. There's a slight difference. Um, Rachel Wise, also pink Rachel Wise, I think, and also not sure I'm pronouncing her last name right. I think it's Vise. I thought it was Vise. Or something like that. I don't know. So I have I have a I have a confession confession to make about Rachel Vice. Um, do it because isn't he having a crush on Rachel Weisz? Because everyone well, knows that's yeah, not Yeah, but that's crush. not that's not the that's not the confession. The confession is that for some reason I was getting her confused with Diane Weist because I was just thinking just because of the names, not because of their look or their sound or anything, just because of because I was thinking like, wait a minute, she looks like she's way too young to be in the Lost Boys, how is this possible? It's like, oh no, that's an entirely different person who has a Slightly similar sounding last name, and that's the only thing that they have in common. I mean, that's. I got nothing for it. No, that's fine. I don't <laughs> have anything else for me either. I just, I just wanted to admit that uh, I felt like an idiot after I looked it up. Was like. That can't be who is in the Lost Boys. Like, oh no, it's just it's another completely different person who has a very vaguely similar sounding last name. 
so. Yeah, I think, like, visually, I don't confuse racial vibes with anyone except for, like, old Hollywood actresses. Like, she's got that 30s, 40s look, kind of. Yeah, I see that, yeah. Brendan Fraser, for some reason, I confuse with, like... What is his name? Uh, uh... Firefly guy, what's his name? Oh, 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 um, Nathan, oh, Nathan Fillion. I can with that. Yeah, Nathan Fillion. Yeah. I sometimes confuse him with Bruce Campbell for some reason, just like, hmm. and, and Brad Pitt, like strong jaw lines, uh, befuddle me. So <laughs> <laughs> I get just very attractive white men with iron jaws who act okay is a category for me and I can't tell people part of it sometimes. I can I can see I can see confusing Brennan Fraser and uh, Nathan Fillion. I, I, personally, I can't see confusing Brennan Fraser and Bruce Campbell. I think it's with those two, it's also they do the same sort of movies. Mm. Like, I could see Bruce Campbell doing. He did do Bubba Hotel. That is true. I need to watch that again. It's been a long time since I've watched that. It's oddly, oddly heartwarming. Yeah. Like, it makes me feel things, which is ridiculous. <laughs> no, I remember really enjoying it when I watched it, like, 20 years ago, and I'd like to watch it again. Uh, Rachel Weisz, I know from Constantine, uh, she's in The Constant Gardener, she was in Enemy at the Gates, and she was in The Fountain. She's also done just shit ton of other things, but those are the ones that, off the top of my head, I know her from. I've seen none of those. So, good on me, Well, I mean, Constantine is a lot oh, better knows. than I thought it was Constantine I have seen, yeah. Okay, so you're lying to me. Sorry, I... Now, look, that's the thing I have to work against look, for the rest of the podcast. Look, I'm, I'm, so I'm fucking tired. I've already, I've already forgot when you said Constantine. You said like three other movies. Cut me some goddamn slack. Uh, Enemy of the Gates is fun. That's one with like, it's got Jude Law and it's got Ed Harris, who always scares me and always will scare me. Is that the sniper movie? 
Yeah. Okay. It's about uh, a Stalingrad, I Okay. Think. I remember, I think you recommended that movie to me a bunch of times, and I just haven't watched it yet. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's good if you like military sniping movies. It's definitely a subgenre. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, I'm just looking through Rachel Weisz's filmography, and I have not seen any of these movies. <laughs> I bet she's good at them all. I don't know if all her movies are good. The Fountain is underrated, I think. Uh, John Hanna, who I, he's, he's a, he's big that guy, like I know his face, but I couldn't tell you which ones of his I've seen, like he's in Four Weddings and a Funeral, I never saw it, he was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, I've never seen it. Bunch of British stuff. That makes sense. It seems like more of a, a dramedy actor than uh, a genre actor. And I, I, I haven't seen him other things, but I know his face. Hmm. Yeah, he definitely looked very familiar to me also, but I, I'm again looking through his filmography and I don't see anything of, I don't see anything on this list that I've seen that I can, that I can see very quickly through the scanning. Yeah, same. Like, I, I, I know he's good. I bet he's good in other things, but all I've seen is the mummies. Um, it's also got uh, Kevin J. O'Connor, uh, who's also in Van Helsing as Igor. <laughs> oh my god. And Deep Rising, which I haven't seen. Those are also uh, Stephen Summers projects, so I guess they're just buddies. <laughs> Oded Fair, I know him from Resident Evil and Blacklist. Oh, yeah. I knew that name sounded familiar. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's Ardeth Bay, which, fun fact, is the name of the mummy character from Boris Karlov's 1932 on its reference. Hmm. Also, the Fez, Kevin G. O'Connor, is the entire movie, is the same one that Boris Karlov was playing as Ardeth Bay in Mummy 1932. Wow. I don't know if it's the same prop, but it's the same kind of Oh, fez okay, okay. It was like, it was the same fez from 
65 years earlier. That'd be impressive. Well, that's that was uh, one of the fun facts I came across. Is one of the extras in the uh, the town uh, was wearing Obi Wan Kenobi's robe from. <laughs> Star Wars and they didn't learn till like three days in like oh yeah we just got that out of some old prop cabinet that one's actually kind of famous <laughs> the uh the Al Guinness one Neat. um which also is, weird I'm surprised he couldn't tell cause it it ought to smell like Guinness <laughs> But that's, uh, that's not even funny. I don't know. And Arnold Vosloo, who I only know from Hard Target and Blood Diamond, so he's usually an action guy, but he's also the mummy. And then I didn't write this down, I forget his name, but the the guy who plays the librarian. Yeah. He's he's one he's a real that guy. Like I've seen him in a bunch of things. Um and I recognize him every time and I remember very few of them. Mm-hmm. He was in like Star Trek Next Generation. Or no, Star Trek Jesus Nice, so I'll just put it Eric Avari. Uh he was in Star Trek next er Deep Space Nine. I saw a couple months ago and he was in Heroes and he was in Stargate, but he was also Looking at the list in Mr. Deeds and a Dog's Tale and Love and Death, and he's been a hundred and fifty things. Jesus. So you probably know him from somewhere. Um, I had only seen Stargate, and uh, Heroes, and. Deep Space Nine because I'm that kind of person <laughs> and those are the movies that I've seen. Well, I I definitely, I think I remember seeing him in Heroes and embarrassingly I remember him from Mr. Deeds. Oh, shit. He's, he's that guy again. He had that face and that voice and it's like I know him from where, and then when you said Mr. Deeds, it's like, oh right, he's the guy who fell over and shat himself. Oh, he was in Dark Matter. As Professor DK guest, he was in Flight of the Living Dead as Dr. Bennett. That, okay, so that's the thing with this guy. Doctor, Professor, uh, uh, Sir, Doctor, he, if you have a movie where someone needs to deliver just 
the dumbest sci-fi <laughs> bullshit dialogue. Get this man. Because he seems so smart and he's so authoritative that he can just look at the camera and say, you've got goblins in your blood. And I'll be like, yeah, okay, that sounds like a thing. <laughs> Line, he was like a priest who's saying all these made up words about like the Jordan space gods or something like yep, yep, that, that works. In Heroes, he was Mohinder's dad who's like, yeah, mutants have powers and because you have the right genes, that means you can shoot lasers out of your butthole. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, you're a doctor. In <laughs> this one, he's just like, yeah, my entire job is to sit here a hundred miles away from where this mummy is and make sure he doesn't rise up by doing nothing. You're like, yeah, that sounds like not a plot hole because you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Which like well, yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One more time, his name is Eric Afari. He's cool. Yeah. Okay. So, The Mummy, 1999, on IMDb, 7 out of 10. Boom. I agree. Mm-hmm. Metascore, 48. What the fuck? <laughs> Too low. Tomato meter, 59%. Eh. But audience appreciation score, 75%. Yeah, okay, that's fine. And on Amazon.com, uh-huh. where you can go for all of your shopping needs and will soon have no choice but to go to for all of your shopping needs. Yay, capitalism. It is given a 4.5 stars out of 5. So, actually a pretty decent rating for Amazon. Also a terrible rating for Amazon. (laughs) True. Well, no, wasn't there... I mean, some of the movies we watched were like four out of five, and that's pretty terrible. Like, four and a half seems like at least average to decent score. I found one when I was searching for The Mummy on Amazon. I found one a couple days ago that only had three stars. It was like a straight-to-VHS, recorded-on-VHS, like, Son of the Mummy Vengeance or something, (laughs) made by some film students in Alberta. 
Um, and it only had three out of five stars. So they do exist. And it was only available on digital download. <laughs> so, that is to date the lowest one I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Budget of nothing, release of nothing. <laughs> Three out of five. <laughs> it's like those. It's like IGN video game scores. Like you've got below ninety-five percent. It sucks. You just got to. <laughs> so the original, the original mummy. Uh, Boris Karloff, one that I still haven't seen, but I looked up some plot synopses of in 1932, was a lot more like, a lot more of like an X-Men apocalypse sort of thing. Like, Mummy Comeback, he main character. Um, and then there's a lot of sort of fish out of water him adjusting to modern life, being museum curator, that sort of thing is a big part of it, which is a movie I want to see now because that sounds super fun. Yeah. There were a bunch of uh, different attempts to reboot this before they settled on this one. They got... Clive Barker originally? Really? Yeah. Huh. He's the guy who did Hellraiser. Which, have you seen that I one? haven't. I want to, though. That one is actually free on YouTube right now. I'll link oh, it yeah. To no, I, I saw a huge list of free movies on YouTube. Uh, a couple months ago, I think that was, I think I put that on the list. There was a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that one and the sequel are still on there. I mean, they'll probably get taken down eventually, but right now they're up there. Hmm. Um. But yeah, he he did Hellraiser one, two, and. Judgment, Revelations, Hellseeker, Debtor, Hellworld, Prophecy, all those. <laughs> um, and he also did The Midnight Meat Train and Candyman and Nightbreed. Ooh. No, he's doing the Nightbreed TV series still. So that would really be something. In his version, it was going to be about a museum that was secret run by cultists trying to raise a mummy who eventually successfully do. Uh, a little bit of that idea kind of survived a little bit in uh, the character we were just talking about, the Eric Amari character. Then they got Joe Dante. Oh, for a minute. Okay. 
<laughs> Joe Dante, as you guys know um, from this very podcast, is the Gremlins guy. <laughs> uh, also famous for Small Soldiers, Inner Space, The Howling. Um, did he speed? Was he the speed guy? Uh, no, that's someone else. Yeah. Never mind. But that would have been something. <laughs> In Joe Dante's version, Daniel Day Lewis was going to be the <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, it was going to be a psychosexual reincarnation romance. Of course. Which I am also fucking here for. <laughs> but, so, the, the most tragic, and I like the final product. This is not a, uh, match what could have been but I like some of these ideas they also got for a little while George Romero the George Romero the George Romero the Night of the Living Dead Dawn of the Dead Day of the Dead Land of the Dead George Romero I almost thought you were going to say George of the Dead. George of the Dead. George. Actually, let me see what else he did. Because it occurs to me that the only things I know off the top of my head are his... I'm pretty sure he hasn't done anything else other than that series. Uh... Something of the dead, something of the dead, something of the dead, something of the dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did one series for 50 fucking years. He did Magic at the Roxy, he did Martin, he did Knight Riders, he did Creepshow, he did Monkey Shines, he did the Dark Half, Bruiser. Most famous for the of the dead things, but yeah. He did the crazies. Interesting. It's also kind of zombie-ish. But, um, so in George Romero's version, main character was a female archaeologist uh, who wakes up a mummy with an MRI because radiation... <laughs> Alright. And then it becomes a horror fish out of water story. Uh, a little bit like the original 1932 one, where he's sort of learning to live in the modern time and eventually go on a vengeance story against the Tomb Raiders that originally stole him and his treasure. I want to see this movie, Sam. (laughs) Well, that would be so much fun for me. (laughs) 
Okay, that all, all of those sound fascinating, right? Damn, that would have, those would have all been very interesting to do, to see. Well, most sound just be, like, I'm, I'm glad we got the, the one they wound up going with this time around. I don't know why they didn't tap one of these for the 2017 one. Hmm. Um, their Dark Universe thing, because I would watch any of these. Uh, I mean, I guess George Romero's dead, yeah. but... It was also offered to Wes Craven. He turned it down. That would have been something, too. That would have been ridiculous. Vampire in Brooklyn, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, uh, Dracula 2000, <laughs> West Craven. Oh, God. Uh, and I would have watched the hell out of that as well, also. Uh, but the Steven Summers one is also good, so yeah. Okay. Uh, so the other movie a lot. It's a little racist, um, <laughs> but it's mostly just dumb fun. But uh, things I really like about it is a brother-sister relationship is one of the best on the screen I've seen. Like, everyone seems to have really good chemistry. The romantic leads have really good chemistry, even though it's a relationship based entirely around, like, sexual assault, which so is every relationship in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the brother and sister in particular seem realistic and good um, apart from the info dumps which I kind of need because it's a corny movie anyway the movie was famously shot in Morocco because the political situation in Egypt at the time made it impossible to shoot there and they had to take out kidnapping insurance on everyone involved because Morocco wasn't super safe either. Uh, and Brian Fraser almost died in the hanging scene. I thought I read about that a long time ago. That's... That kind of makes sense. Like, it wasn't... I don't know how it worked. Like, it wasn't, um... It wasn't set up properly or something. Or they didn't cut him down quickly enough or something. Yeah, like, I guess... I don't know how they do hanging stunts, but I guess they have, like, a noose that's... like, a foot shorter than a back harness or something, so it's... it's a real... Like, I don't know why you don't just have a coiled rope necklace that's not attached to anything and then like 
a rope going to your backpack or something. I don't know what. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not a stunt coordinator, but why would you have any, why would that be a risk of anything? Yeah, I think most of the time, I think most of the time, like, they'll attach the, the noose to, like, a harness that's hidden under their clothes or something. But maybe, like, the rope might have slipped off the harness and actually started choking him or something. Because the same thing happened to, um, to Michael J. Fox in, what was it, Back to the Future 3, I think? Uh, the old West. Yeah, like, the same thing happened to him. Like, he almost died in in, in a hanging scene. And it's like, you guys, just stop doing that. <laughs> like, you're, you're killing off these great actors, or almost killing off these great actors. Yeah, like, I don't know how they're setting it up, but just don't have anything connected to the neck, actually. Mm. Super easy. Yeah. I don't think I, mean, I don't maybe doesn't look as good, but but fuck it. Yeah, I I think usually they don't, but just I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but still, it just seems like a little bit too dangerous of a stunt, maybe for actual humans to to take on. Yeah, and humans got, like, skinny necks. They're not powerful, sensual manatees like mm-hmm. us. Like, like if something tightens around their neck, it doesn't just slip off the top of their head so they can go eat lettuce. Like, it's a full-on... It's a whole issue. Yeah. Damn, now I'm hungry for lettuce. Anyway, so he got, he got hurt bad. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you were saying No, I was just, I was just, just saying uh, I'm hungry for lettuce now. <laughs> I'm always hungry for lettuce. <laughs> so the mummy, it opens in, didn't age super well, but isn't terrible, CGI Egypt. <laughs> I like this song a lot. I think one of the reasons I like this movie so much is the sort of bombastic, like, blows in there, doesn't even try for immersion. It's just a good score sort of thing. Well, this was, um, who was it? I think it was Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this. I know. I'm pretty sure he did some other movies that we've done on this show. I have to look at the list, but keep going and I'll, I'll interrupt you eventually with some oh, Jerry Goldsmith films. It was, it was Jerry Goldsmith in this one. I think uh, Alan Silvestri did the sequel. 
and he's good too. He's is he also did he did Star Trek First Contact, he did Congo, Total Recall, LA Confidential. He did Dennis the Menace from nineteen ninety three. <laughs> I have not seen that one, if we're being perfectly honest. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking at the um, Oh, he did the page. Oh, he did 13th Warrior. He did what? The 13th Warrior. Oh, okay. That's a, another bad movie that I like that has a good soundtrack. He also did Small Soldiers, which we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. He did a bunch of the Star Trek movies, actually. He did Air Force One. He did Powder. Oh, God. He did Rudy. Oh, Powder had a good soundtrack, I remember. I don't think I liked that movie that much, but it, like, uh... He did Gremlins. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he did Rambo for Blood Part 2. A bunch of other shit. The 13th Warrior soundtrack, by the way, also got uh, uh, stolen for a little bit of Kingdom of Heaven, which is a movie I actually do like quite a bit in parts. He's kind of done too. He he's just done a lot of movies. Like he did the first three Rambo movies. He did Warlock. Um, yeah, he has two hundred thirty-five yeah. credits on here. Lots of movies. So anyway, I knew I'd seen the name around a bunch, so he did he did ground ones, so there's that. Uh, uh, also the cinematographer is the same guy who did the cinematography for Princess Bride, Aliens, and V for Vendetta. All of which had pretty good cinematography, I think. Yeah. I would do also, Judge Dredd, which is the lost episode that I'm still trying to cobble together pieces of the Anthony. <laughs> I would like to hear that episode. Because I would like to watch yeah, the movie the, again. The sound file, it did that weird thing where it chops the sound files up into a bunch of different small ones that aren't labeled in a row. So it's one of those things where you just have to like stitch it together and that's, like frankly that's a lot of work. I might have done about a third of it, but it might never happen and I apologize if it doesn't. Okay, so Ron Phoebes, it's all CG. 
uh, Odin Fair comes in and starts telling us exactly what's up, which this movie does a lot. Yeah. Um, which I kind of like. We've got Patricia Velasquez wearing, like, body paint, and that's it. Nobody Egyptian nears, I can tell. Like, Uotep is South African. Um, Patricia Velasquez is Velasquez. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know. It occurs to me, like, every movie I've seen taking place in Egypt doesn't star Egyptians. I don't actually know what they look like. Is this close? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, the only guy I know from Egypt was like ethnically, uh, uh, what you call it, Kenyan or something, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> Yeah, the only the only person I know who's um, Egyptian. Um, well, I mean, like I had I had an instructor who was he was uh, Coptic Egyptian. He doesn't really look like anyone in this movie, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's closer, I guess, than, like, uh, the Ten Commandments <laughs> one that I saw where Yule Brenner was the pharaohs. They're getting closer, but, like, can you not just... Like, there's millions of people there. <laughs> they act. Can you not? Um, but it's fine. She, she, uh, Patricia Velasquez was the one who played Marta, the, the girlfriend on Rest Development. Okay, I've never seen that like, show. Okay. <laughs> Well, she's also been other things, but that's the only I've seen. Yeah, alright. <laughs> um, and, and, and she, uh, likes, likes Arnold Vosley, which of course she does. Look mm -hmm. at him. He is a hunk. I will say that. Yeah. So it's our hero with the very pretty girlfriend. These two, like, these are two very attractive people. <laughs> I don't think since The Phantom uh, have I seen just two people who are like, yeah, I'm ugly, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is a 3000 BC power couple, and I get it. Mm -hmm. 
Pharaoh walks in looking like one of us, so of course he's not. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you lost her to Enoch. Of course he did. Look, that's how the world works. I'm sorry. Look at him. Look at his shoulders. <laughs> so, instead of just fleeing like it would make perfect sense to do, they, they, they kill the pharaoh, which, fine, because implied that she didn't want to be with him in the first place, and she's probably owned by him or something, because Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's ridiculous. So, so far, I think this is our hero. (laughs) Or at least the first time I saw the movie, it's like, oh yeah, Emotep, our main character, Emotep, the good guy. Because <laughs> so far he just had to kill Pharaoh for love. For some reason, she's gonna stay behind and tank because she knows a cleric. <laughs> Which <laughs> is a little meta. <laughs> but, like, okay, so her plan is I'll just get killed and you can raise me from the dead because that's a routine thing around here. What? How? Like, if that's a routine thing, how did... That's just a crazy thing to already know how to do at the beginning of the movie, you know? Yeah, seems like it's a bit LP. Yeah, and also just like, like, these guys fell to the Roman Empire. How? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, this was, this was the movie version of, of history. I mean, if this was actually, like, what happened, in 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 our in our timeline in our universe then well, what do you mean? Well I mean I don't know. I mean there you know could be an infinite number of universes and in the particular universe where this movie takes place, um Resurrection is actually a thing. No, this this took place in this universe. It's just like 1930s when it happened. This is a documentary, I think. Wait, I thought you said it took place 3,000 years ago. No, this part did. The rest of it is just it's recounting the events of like the British colony and. Egypt in the 1930s. Right, but... I don't know. Don't confuse me, I'm tired. (laughs) 
I'm just saying, when you have municipal necromancers, it seems like your empire lasts forever. <laughs> the municipal necromancers is gonna be the name of my next band, by the way. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, so she's gonna sit behind and get killed, cause whatever. Everyone has to run anyway, so I don't know why this was a plan, because instead of running, she makes him steal her body and run <laughs> um, to this specific place. And I just have here, what was their plan? <laughs> because <laughs> he's gonna bring her back from the dead, but they're still all fugitives, like they didn't get away with anything. Yeah. Seems to be under the impression that, like, it's like in Grand Theft Auto, right? If you die, and then you respawn at the hospital it wipes out all your wanted stars and that's what she's counting on but it doesn't work <laughs> her dying didn't there's no reason I think it was maybe supposed to just be a ruse to like throw off the pharaoh's Royal guards or something? I, I don't know. So they would get there and just be like, Oh, she clearly killed the pharaoh by herself, and all these priests who are no longer here probably had nothing to do with it, and she's dead, so case closed. Yeah. Yeah. This was Egypt 3,000 years ago, man. I mean, they, they, may have been, they may have known how to resurrect people, but they may not have necessarily been able to figure out political intrigue. Look, if you're, if you're carving sphinxes and raising the dead, I'm sure you've got decent CSIs. Probably interview. You can raise the dead. You can interview the pharaoh. Like, hey, who killed you? You know what? That's a good point. I wonder if they actually bothered to do that. It would be, yeah. That's another one you have. Or okay, but no, here's the question though. Here's the question though. Was it maybe just the? the priests of Imhotep who could actually do the resurrection thing? Or was it just everyone who could do it? Because if it was just Imhotep's priest who could do it, then, like, he could have just had the secret and hogged it all to himself. These are the things that were not explained in the movie because they had to move forward 3,000 years. They didn't, like, bother to actually stop and say, explain, like, 
Hey, only the priests of Imhotep know how to resurrect people, that sort of thing, like, so they wouldn't. Maybe that was why they couldn't resurrect the Pharaoh, or maybe they did resurrect the Pharaoh after the fact and not actually show it. Now, see, if they're gonna know. do a movie that takes place in, like, ooh, you could have, like, a mummy versus mummy thing. With something like that. Okay, so I'm... When I'm writing my shitty reboot, because they've already had a shitty reboot, so we're allowed to now. Uh, there's a good guy mummy and a bad guy mummy. Good guy okay. mummy runs a museum, and bad guy mummy was the pharaoh. <laughs> okay, yeah. Hold on, I'm writing this out. Okay, yeah. Okay. So cool, yeah. yeah. No one yeah, knows he's a mummy because he wears sunglasses. You can't tell he doesn't have eyes. We need... Okay, we need... We need someone who's both anorexic and has Marfan syndrome. I'm sure that exists. Okay, needs to be... And let's, let's cast an actual Egyptian or a black guy. One of the two is fine. Just not a... Not a... Not an Arnold Moser guy. Okay, okay. He wears... You know what? He wears really cutting... Uh, three-piece suits, but he has, like, a little, like, an Anubis pin. And that's the only hint at first. <laughs> He's got a tie. It's nice to have this silk tie, but it's, like, black and gold stripes, you know, like, like that sort of diagonal. Yeah. Yeah, and all his drives yeah. are super thin, but you don't think about it. It's just like, oh, you've got a super thin chauffeur. It's like, no, they mummies. But they wear the hats and sunglasses. You can't put them on me either. This can be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on. Okay. Uh, we'll talk to y'all next month. And Love Hands here also. <laughs> 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 We'll finish off this episode next month. We're gonna go work on this script. Okay, we call it My Friend the Mummy. Hi, Ben. Isn't that already a movie? Isn't there already a movie called My Friend? Maybe not, I don't know. And this one, the main character isn't like a kid who gets drawn in, or like a guy trying to stop. The main character is like his secretary, who <laughs> arranges logistically to have, you know, sarcophagi delivered stuff. Hires contractors to to hieroglyph up the walls for rituals and just is a little overworked. Always kind of frazzled.
notice their bosses, mummy. Now you're just writing my life story. <laughs> Except you're changing my boss into a mummy. <laughs> you can be the main character, that's fine. I'm not jealous. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that's actually my real life. I'll be the funny person. Except my boss is not a mummy. Are you sure? No. Have you ever thrown water on them and see if they suddenly decompose in that part? Admittedly, no. Huh? Have you ever seen wow. them and an anthropomorphic sand cloud in the same place at the same time? You know what? Same identity. Jesus Christ. You've blown this whole thing wide open. So, Alright, I have to go to the Temple of Horus. I'll be right back. Yeah. So, now it's Ben's podcast, and we're going to talk about my other movie ideas. What if... Okay, so you guys know the internet, right? What if it was a place... Can call it Tron 2. Do it right this time. <laughs> okay, I'm back. What did I miss? Okay, uh, nothing. Actually, nothing. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, okay, what was their plan? And then, so I have. What was their plan about uh, an ox and a moon and an Imhotep? And then, what was their plan about the Magi? Because they're like, okay, because you killed our boss, we're going to make you immortal and give you so many powers. <laughs> yeah, I... It's the single source curse. It's it's the same it's the same thing. Okay, here I'm gonna I'm gonna link this and Ernest scared stupid. Cause cause both of the people who buried the 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 supposedly evil characters they they put a curse on them that made them stronger if they were unburied and it's like what is wrong with you guys you're you're doing it wrong and they're not thinking far ahead into the future and thinking like well maybe someone will un will unearth them. It's like, no, they're just... They're putting curses on these people that are just going to eventually make them stronger and potentially will be able to let them take over the Earth. 
Well, the, the pastor Worrell, remember, it wasn't his curse. The troll gave the curse. Oh, yeah, that's like, true. Pastor Worrell just buried him because he didn't know how to kill him. These right, guys, like, true. actively empower their enemy. That is true. Sorry, never mind. Still. But also, like, even if you want him to suffer for whatever, like, you don't have to give him powers for that, right? Couldn't you just, like... Like... Seems dumb. Yeah. But that's okay, because without you don't have a movie. Like, if it was something emo tipped to himself, uh, it, you know what I mean. It's weird. Yeah. No, I get it. But they're like, because you're a bad guy, we're gonna make you able to destroy everyone. Hopefully later, unless someone's around knows how to stop you, which will happen. Oh shit, I just realized. Yes. Those Egyptians are boomers. How? Because, um, they're basically dist- they're, they're saying, well, we're gonna let future generations oh. worry about of the mistakes that we've made in destroying our planet. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a problem for someone who isn't born yet with your smartphones. Exactly. <laughs> <Good luck>. <laughs> <laughs> so now the French Foreign Legion is fighting some horsemen I don't know history. <laughs> I um, don't either. Everyone, all the horsemen have very accurate horse riflery. I've never actually sh- shot a rifle from a horse, but I have ridden a horse and I have shot a rifle. And I could not do the two at the same time from a quarter mile away getting guys on top of, like, walls and stuff. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Also, I don't know why everyone always waits when they're super close to fire with long-range weapons. Like, I'm not, like, a military tactician, but what if you started firing, like, when they were far away? That's what I would do. Well, because then, then it wouldn't be dramatic. You know? You wouldn't have Brendan Fraser yelling, Wait or hold like like six times, you know? Don't hold, get two volleys off for holding <laughs> like that's Ah, uh, they have they have they have they're they're not automatic weapons, but they have like shotguns or whatever, rifles. They can they can like 
shoot like twice in the span of like a minute. That's quick enough. Because we only see three officers of the French Foreign Legion who actually have characters. One flees and abandons his men. The other one actively betrays our main character for the rest of the movie and the other one is our main character and doesn't seem to have anything in common with the other two so I don't know why anyone's here or what's going on but they're they're at the place for some reason they're on the city of the dead which I don't know how they found it in the first place given what we learn later on which also isn't a very good disguise because it's only visible in the daytime. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, any, any city with a power out is invisible at night. That's nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, Vinny locks Rick out. The mummy saves Rick by doing a spooky floor thing and scaring away guys who are gonna kill Rick. And then up on the hill there's paladins that just let him go for some reason. Yeah, they, um... They're so useless in this movie. They're the worst at their job. Lucky is so pretty because he is not smart. <laughs> okay, meanwhile, white people, because we're, we're back in the town, there's uh, it's like British colonialism again. It's the second movie with good guys are British colonists just occupying <laughs> another person's country and then there's a very attractive couple. This is a theme, I guess. <laughs> also in the 30s at the same time, huh? Yeah, it was. The Phantom should be in this. Also, Arnold Vasu looks a little bit like him. Yeah. But, uh, oh God, I forget his name all of a sudden. Uh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane. He got similar eyelashes. <laughs> it's a very interesting detail that you've noted. But am I wrong? 
I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's a very interesting detail that you've noticed. I'm saying you shaved Billy Zane's head. He looks a lot like Colin Bosser with a shaved head. Not a lot, a lot, but close-ish. Mm -hmm. Oh god, I have a type. Okay. So... <laughs> Book dominoes. It's it's a movie in the nineties, so to make the main female character approachable, she's clumsy. Mm -hmm. Um she knocks everything down. Uh her boss doesn't like her. Um got everything but her hurrying home with a baguette and a paper bag. But that's okay because I love this movie because of how hard it leans into everything. Jonathan's here. I actually like him a lot too. He plays a prank on her with a mummy. <laughs> and this is when we get our first we don't have time for this info dump where they just describe the relationship to each other casually and he just fucking has the key they need <laughs> um, which it's a great way to start a movie. There's also a map, and I don't know why there's a map, because they don't use the map. Uh, it winds up not being a thing that leads to anything in the plot, but there's a map in it. Yeah, um, cause the, cause the head librarian guy lights it on fire at some point uh, so they lose a bunch of they lose a bunch of it but yeah it ends up it essentially means nothing yeah, I mean, because I, they have a human map later on yeah, I mean, I guess it's there just to to say, hey, this this thing is related to to the city you want to go to, but they could also have that written on the dam that opens everything anyway. Key, right? Like. Like, plot structure-wise, there's no reason for this map to be here, because they didn't burn it and lose it anyway. Um, yeah. Because all they wind up doing is going looking for the guy that Jonathan stole this from. Who is... Vernon Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. Stole it at a bar. Somehow he knows where Bren Fraser is. They don't actually get into that. How you find out that this guy is now in jail. Mm -hmm. 
so all we know about this guy so far is he, he's the guy from before. Um, he knows where this place is. He sexually assaults Rachel Weiss through the cage. <laughs> and then we don't know what he did to get executed, but the jail just says he was looking for a good time. And so, we assume it's rape. I assume it's rape. Because... Okay. Yeah. Because that's the only thing we know about this character we're supposed to like so far. But we do anyway, because Brent Fraser, which is uncomfortable. Okay, can I point out one thing real quick? Do it. Um, so the jailer, I don't know yeah. if you noticed, but he has the exact same voice as Charlie Day. I did not notice that. He, like, if you listen to him talk, like, he's the same sort of, like, high-pitched, voice as like it's almost like except he had it in sort of a vaguely sort of Middle Eastern accent Uh, but go back and listen to him talk and he sounds exactly like Charlie Day I will I know this this guy um I don't know his name. Omid Jalili. But yes. he he was also in Gladiator as a pretty similar role. Like he was the slave trader that had uh, Russell Crowe's character locked up and sold him. And this one he has Brandon Fraser's character locks up and locked up and sells him. Has he been anything famous? Uh, I'm looking to Snatch. Now. I don't know, uh, Snatch the TV show. That's not the movie. He was in Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow. He was in, oh, um, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Yeah. He was in The Love Guru. The Love Guru, everyone's favorite movie. (laughs) He's in, uh, yeah, not really a whole lot else. Okay, well, I recognize him from something, but it was probably just Gladiator. Uh, but I like him. He's got a weird kind of charisma. I like him a lot, actually. <laughs> well, it's because he reminds me, like I said, it's because he has the same sort of vocal mannerisms as Charlie Day. That's why I was like, okay, I like him. He's a terrible person in the movie. He's a terrible character in the movie, but I like him. 
I don't know how terrible he actually is. Like, they... It, it's just this weird, like, everyone makes a point to say he stinks so we don't like him. But other than that, like, what does he do? He... He goes with this... He has this dangerous criminal. We don't quite know what he did, but... All we've seen him do is murder people for money and sexually assault someone. Um, <laughs> and then for a lot of money, he loans him to a uh, an archaeologist museum people and then goes with to make sure nothing terrible happens. And then dies. Like, he doesn't do anything bad, really. He's just... That's fat. And everyone says he smells. That's it. Like, he might be the most heroic character so far. <laughs> I mean, outside of Imhotep, right? Yeah, after Imhotep. Yeah. So, so far, we have evil white people and good Egyptians, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Which I'm on board for. <laughs> they, they meet up at this boat. Because cause they're, they're all going to go together. He goes with them to make sure that... This dangerous prisoner doesn't ruin anyone's life. <laughs> My theory is because he's worried about her because she's wounded by herself. Like, she doesn't seem to know how dangerous this guy is. Alright, I'll go with and make sure nothing happens. He's already sexually assaulted her. Yeah. He wants to make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> Weird movie. I do like it a yeah. lot. <laughs> they run to this other group of other Indiana Jones types. Fucking Americans. <laughs> Don't have a backstory post, just four more ricks. <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> And Finny's here. I like Finny. <laughs> yeah. He's just the absolute best sniveling <laughs> whatever sidekick floozy. Yeah. Not floozy, but Thora Flunky. Flunky. Different yeah. For some reason, Rachel Weiss had, well, okay, not for some reason, he's Brent Fraser, he's gorgeous, but for some reason there's like a romance starting already, which shouldn't be, but whatever <laughs> I'm here for. Uh, these two have a lot of chemistry, I'll give them that. Yeah. Yeah. Vice and, uh, Fraser. Water ninjas show up and burn the boat, and we're swashbuckling. <laughs> and I like this scene. It's pretty well done. 
one guy's on fire for like 45 minutes and just doesn't <laughs> die. <laughs> yeah. I did like it. I did like that Brennan Fraser he ended up throwing two people and himself into the water after the after the barge gets lit on fire. Yeah, that's, that's just the move. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> alright, well he just he just picks up Rachel Vice, tosses her over the hoverboard, then um Who's he toss over next? I think he tosses Benny off for the fighting Yeah, right. Then he just throws himself over the overboard, and then of course um, the jailer jumps back over, uh, and Jonathan jumps off afterwards, and that sort of thing. It's just everyone's jumping off. I just thought it was enjoyable. I did really like the jailer back and forth. Like, what do I do? What do I do? Just like, wait here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Takes him three seconds. Like, what is that? <laughs> Burning yeah. mode. Okay, so good swashbuckle. Uh, Rachel Vice isn't like. Useful, but she's not dumb. It's a, it's a fine line they're treading between like straight up damsel in distress and practical academic damsel in distress. And I think it's helped by the fact that Jonathan's there also because he's approximately as useless so it stands out less than she is like she gets saved by Brent Fraser he gets saved by one of the random American cowboys and they're both just like what are we doing which I like They have to buy camels and new clothes. Or uh, she has to buy new clothes. They don't, because they never went to bed. <laughs> and uh, these paladins are just kind of watching again. Yeah. Because they're not good at their jobs. Nope. Because that guy they let go instead of killing is back with a bunch of guys. They're like, hmm. This could not have been prevented. We don't know what happened. <laughs> so they're walking out. They're walking out. They're walking out to this place. They got camels. I like camels. I always forget how huge they are. Uh, I think they're the size of horses, yeah. and people have to climb like 30 stories up to get on top of one. Pal <laughs> <laughs> is just kind of watching. This is when 
it's discovered that like you can only see this the city in the daytime, which is right. not a good defense. No, cause that's so. a lot of places. <laughs> cause the the quote hero party uh, meets up with the uh, with the other Americans and like a bunch of uh, I guess Egyptians who were there to, to dig or whatever the uh, you know, red shirts yeah exactly and they're both saying like oh you know we're gonna but I guess they had like a bet going to see who could find the city of the dead first it's like hey, well, yeah Jonathan and the poker I made a bet I thought right? yeah they bet like 500 American dollars which I know this is 1930 so that's a lot of money but dollar was a thing that people cared about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they basically bet it's like, okay, whoever whoever finds the city of the dead first gets five hundred dollars. And of course they meet each other right outside when the city of the dead appears in the sunrise. It's, it seems like they that happens a lot. The sort of people sort of running into each other coincidentally at the same time. Yeah, or like they had all the horses there on the wrong side of the river. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I guess they're both waiting for dawn, so they could have shut up three or four hours apart. It doesn't matter, because they have to wait to see the city. Mm. Um, but it's painted as this majestic, like, mystic thing, and I just, I don't know, it's invisible in the daytime and only visible at night would be a good defense. The other way around is just like anything under a hill has that defense. <laughs> yeah. So they divide into little camp and huge camp because they get there. Uh, there's this ridiculous mirror thing which I remember this being on Mythbusters because yeah, of course it was so instead of lights they have, they have a series of mirrors where if you get one little bit of sunlight coming in you can bounce it into another mirror which bounces into all these mirrors and it lights up the whole thing on Mythbusters, they showed that would work, but you'd have to be readjusting that first mirror constantly because the sun move. Yeah, because and it also Earth round. It also yeah, and it also did not 
light up the room nearly as much as the movie showed it to be. Well, no, but it did light up the room. Like, there was light scattered to the point where you could see, at least. Well, the light scattered trailed off after, like, one or two mirrors, though. But when, um, like when, when Jamie walked into the light with, with, like, the beam of light with his bright white shirt, it lit up the room like the movie did, which, that was kind of funny. <laughs> so. His, uh, his, what do you call it? Uh, irid- not iridescent dye. His, uh, fluorescent bleach shirt. <laughs> yeah, pretty that's, much. That's always cheating. Well, I don't think it was. I think it was. I don't know what it was. I don't think it was dyed. I think it was just like. I mean, it's just like a, you know, white. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, like fluorescent dyes, like. Like, what separates, like, a pink shirt from fluorescent pink shirt and why you can see, like, a clean white shirt outside versus one you can tell has been bleached specifically with this kind of fluorescent bleach. You know, there's some that seem to, like, glow in the sun and some are just white. Is because the, the fluorescent dyes are fluorescent. And it can be white dyes or just white soaps or whatever. Absorb ultraviolet light, but then release it in two different stages. So it puts out two lower energy halves, but we can't see ultraviolet and we can't see the lower energy ones. So it looks brighter than the light it's taking in it's converting high-frequency invisible rays into visible light. So when you have like one of those highlighter yellow, highlighter pink shirts that seem to glow outside, it's because it's basically digesting too bright for us to see it frequencies and turn them into bright enough for us to fre- see it frequencies so it looks brighter even though it's actually dimmer. How much of that was actually real? All of it. Huh. Alright. Cool. It's spectroscopy. It's one of the things I taught before I was going to be an unprincipled lawyer, man. <laughs> Capitalism makes us all villains. I hate it. Speaking of, you guys want gold. <laughs> so <there's... laughs> nice. <laughs> nice way to tie this back together. <laughs> Oh, this is ridiculous mirror thing. 
Everyone has so many guns. Oh my god. Confused. They don't have tools, they do have guns. <laughs> I mean, why would you need tools when you have guns? I mean, I guess you they do manage to shoot a lot of things apart, but... Warden's off breaking down statues. There's an acid trap. It's it's all Indiana Jonesy. It's kind of cool. A bunch of the red shirts die. Mm-hmm. And then the sarcophagus literally falls out of the sky <laughs> in the the good guy camp. Yeah, and it. Nearly crushes Brandon Fraser and Rachel Weiss to death, and if that had happened, it would have been a much shorter movie. Yeah, and I forget was that because they were they were tunneling up under it to try to steal it from the guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a point. Yeah, they were they were gonna tunnel upwards into the the tomb of Anubis, I think is what it was, or the the base of the statue of Anubis. Yeah, yeah. They found it at the top, and she knows what she's doing, and their expert doesn't. Although we find out later that he sort of knows what he's taught the other uh, guy's expert, the other expert knows other parts that were vital, it's like vital information that they could have used later on in the movie, but because they were in two different camps, they decided not to share their information, which caused this whole mess to happen in the first place. Well, he doesn't know at this point. He just reads it when it's very explicit and tells everything that's going to happen in the movie inside that box. I don't know. I mean, he specifically says later on, don't read out of the book. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying that's because it because it says that in the uh, that box with the organ jars in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, warns off breaking down statues, stealing stealing bugs. Mm-hmm. Then we get. We get a, a skin scarab, and it, it goes in his shoe, and he's like, ah, ah, it's, it's going for my leg. And they're like, we gotta take the leg. He's like, don't take the leg. And they're like, it's going for his testicles. He's like, take it, take the leg. And then they pull it out, and he's like, hey, ice cream for my ass. <laughs> and it's a good scene. <laughs> I 
not even gonna correct you. Cause you're gonna be like, yep, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> this was not does. <laughs> that wasn't evolution at all that he was just describing. Hey, super fans, turn into our evolution episode <laughs> to see what the shit I'm talking about. Uh, I don't like that movie as much as this one, but it's kind of fun also. And has most of the same character flaws, honestly. Yeah, actually. didn't age well. I know they liked it a lot. It was also big in, like, The Matrix. That's how Agent Smith blows up, I think. Hmm. Doesn't he, like, Neo jumps into him and all this stuff goes up his skin and he like, someone figured out how to do this in whatever the after effects of the time was and everyone wanted to use it. It doesn't do anything for me. The, the swarm of scarabs that eat people real fast does something for me. I don't super care for the burrows under skin and then is a lump that is scary thing. Yeah, I, I haven't watched The Matrix in a very long time, so I don't remember how Agent Smith dies. I'll take your word for it on that one. Yeah, it's the same thing. But what looks real good is the, uh, because he's going crazy because there's a bug in his brain, runs down the hallway and bashes his head against the wall and falls dead, and that looks real as hell. Yeah, that's right. Ooh, yeah, ooh, that's a fracture. (laughs) So, yeah. That was good. And it was like a little funny, because when everyone gets bopped on the head in a movie, it's a little funny, but it was most like, oh no, though. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's, that's one thing about this movie. Like, the CGI effects have not aged very well. The practical effects are top-notch. I'm very into them. It's it's like those old, um, it's the same era as like a lot of those video games that look really bad. They were the first 3D video games, but then the spray from that time still looks fantastic. Where like, they have a lot of practice with practical effects and can make them look really good. But they also want to show off this new CG stuff, and it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Which no one should 
ever do. Like, this is my tip for everyone making movies or video games or whatever. Don't try something that's new and cool looking because it's going to age poorly as that technology matures. Try something you're real good at, and then you'll be like Final Fantasy VI that people still love, and not Final Fantasy VII that looks like garbage and has to keep getting remade. <laughs> Is yeah. my advice to everyone. It's kind of scary. Now the news attack, but kill nobody important. Yeah, once the red shirts died, a bunch of the, bunch of the n- ninjas die. Yeah, and then the uh, the paladins show up and they say, you know, leave or die, but they don't actually bother to actually make them leave. Yeah, these are the worst guardians of tomb. Pretty much ever. Yeah. Um, All you know is that we're around and they're displeased, but you don't know why. (laughs) And then nobody leaves, of course. Because why would you? Because they didn't kill anyone important and you killed a bunch of them. So it's like, leave or we will come back and make you kill some more. Okay. (laughs) That's weird. We have our second info dump. Well, like our fifth info dump in the movie because he gets super (laughs) drunk and starts describing her backstory. Yeah. (laughs) It's She's a very good actor. It's kind of cute. That's not how people act when they're super drunk, but I get what they're going for. Uh, and the scene otherwise serves no purpose, except for when she's drunk, she's attracted to this weird sexual assault guy. Who at this point we've already forgotten about, I guess. And you think he's gonna be noble for a second because she's clearly too drunk, but then she falls asleep. It's like, ah, he definitely would have done it. (laughs) (laughs) The the other team, the B team, much bigger, much more equipped B team. Have opened this chest. It's got canopic stuff in it. There's spooky wind. Everyone runs away, and it spells out exactly like it, he's he's translating it. And it's not like vague and riddle-like. It's like there will be a plane. Oh, dead fair will be there. The mummy's going to eat all three of you is going to take this guy's eyes. Then there's going to be some Dracula shit 
Oh my god, you guys. <laughs> it goes through. <laughs> like, like, they, they even, I mean, I'm exaggerating only a little bit. Like, he just says, like, he will integrate their organs into them and no longer become young. It's just, it's just the plot. Like, it's laid out. Which I'm fine with, but like, it's very funny how how overt it is to me. <laughs> but I'm into it, um, because now I know exactly what the stakes are and exactly what's gonna happen before it happens. <laughs> And it's the first time it makes a little bit of sense. Like, if you're going to curse these guys, um, and he has all his power, but he's actually an enemy, you would want to put something like, but here's the off switch. Like, this is what we did. It's dumb, but listen. <laughs> so, at least the motivations of the weird... The necromancers that did this to everyone make more sense here than they do elsewhere. But still odd. Mummy himself is apparently not cursed. There's a curse on everyone who lets him go, but the mummy himself, it's all uphill from there. Or downhill, I don't know how the expression works. Everything ha the, the mummy does is going to be great for the mummy if they open it. But the guys who open it, they get cursed. And they don't have the power of the curse to curse the bad guy. But they will curse them. Although, again, the bad guy is a good guy at this point. I don't know. It's so corny, and I love it. Meanwhile, the A-Team opens up the sarcophagus. The emo taps in. He's all gross. There's fingernails on the inside, and he's left some graffiti. And it says, Death is but a door. Time is but a window. I'll be back. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> uh, it says death is both the beginning, but same same energy as Vigo. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen that one? I'm sorry, I might have just been saying random shit there. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2? Uh, I don't think I have. Ah, okay, well that's... Jokes are better if you have to explain them very quickly, so audience, listen, what I was doing was, 
what the movie actually says is death is but the beginning, which is a lot like the uh, the line from Ghostbusters 2 that they're the Vigo the Carpathian says, which is death is but a door, time is but a window, and I'll be back. And I was pretending I couldn't tell two characters apart. There's also another movie where death is just the beginning is a line, but I don't think it's a good one. I think it's like a B movie or something. Um, also, I forget what they said in Dracula, which came out around this time. It's clearly a very Dracula uh, derivative work in general. See, when you said Vigo, I thought you were saying Vigo Mortensen, and I was trying to remember what Vigo Mortensen movies I've seen, but he might say something like that. He probably said something like that in The Prophecy. Yeah. Probably. That's where he plays the literal devil, and it's great. Yeah. Ooh, that one we should see, actually. I wouldn't mind watching it again. I feel like not many people have seen it. It might be a bad thing for, you know, uh, bringing in audiences. Like, hey, remember this movie that I love and no one's seen? They'll be like, no, what? <laughs> Christopher Walken is also the devil? Like, no, he's an angel. He acts like the devil. Like, what? <laughs> Anyway, she evil deads it back to life. Mm-hmm. She steals the book from B-Team, uh, opens it up with the key, and then starts reading it. Uh, Imhotep comes back to life. He's a creepy, shambling, flesh terminator-looking thing. Yeah, but it's literally the same, like, she doesn't know what it's saying, she just reads it out loud, it's evil dead, also, listen, like, scenario, you're writing a Necronomicon, do you really put the sentence that's gonna kill the world on the first page? Like, thank you for reading this book. Here's how you did it. And then, like, there's 13 more pages with nothing on them. What's the... I mean, to be fair, if I was writing the Book of the Dead, yeah, I probably would. Why don't you put on the cover? Other what? stuff's on the cover. Well, I mean, for the neck, well, the neck Nalakon specifically is like, you know, the, whatever the, the creepy skin face thing is on the cover. You can't, I mean, you have to, you have to have people have a reason to open the book, you know, it's not just... Oh, here's how to destroy the world on a cover. It's like, why even bother opening the book 
then why not just make it a sheet of paper? Or just graffiti everywhere. Yeah, sat here in the tomb, you read the wall, like, oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoops. Yeah, exactly. Like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have the dramatic opening of the book and have the howling winds and all that sort of thing, and then people read it, and it's like, oh shit, now we've doomed the world. Can't just be. Oh, I just accidentally read something off a sheet of paper. Oops, the world is doomed. You know, you gotta, you gotta, it's all gotta be dramatic effects. That's you gotta have a sense of spooky timing. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta have that scene where they crack open the book and then, like, there's the creepy sound as coming in the background and the wind blows and there might be a little bit of thunder and lightning and then you know they're like looking at the page and it might be like you know written in blood or something I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm super fucking tired. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about like how to like it'd be more dramatic to open a book than it would be to just like look at a scroll and be like, oh, this is how the world ends. I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Please summon <laughs> locusts. Because one of the things that cursed us is turned the mummy into Moses. <laughs> I don't get it. Why they would do that? <laughs> but they do. They summon locusts and all the NPCs die. <laughs> well, all the, I mean, all the, all the, all the, um, all the red shirts that hadn't died before, they run away beforehand. So did Benny, because it's like, I don't want to get cursed. So they run away, so they're going to be totally fine. Well, well, they ran away before they opened the, the chest. But here they're still up in the camp and they get at by locusts to show the locusts. Oh, oh, right, right, right. That, Which yeah. locusts also don't eat people. I think you're fine, but uh, then one dude, because one of the the B team has glasses, and he velmos them underground, <laughs> and then. He's sort of just like, where are my glasses? I can't see without my glasses. <laughs> and it, but he doesn't get them because someone steps on them. Mm-hmm. So he's and just kind of, he, he just kind of stumbles around in this hall for a little while. And he keeps hearing this sort of howling and, you know, behind him. So he keeps turning around, and of 
course you can't see a fucking thing because it's gone out. Because he just wants to make sure that if he sees anything or anyone, he will kill it. And then he get caught by the mummy. Kind of see, but meanwhile it switches to everyone's running from scarabs, and Evie falls through a secret bookcase door <laughs> to separate the group because, of course, she did. And then she 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 finds herself in a room with this guy, but he doesn't have a tongue or eyes anymore, but he's still alive. So, just to be clear, like, part of the reason I think the mummy doesn't make great decisions in this is of all the eyes in the movie, he mm -hmm. takes the ones that can't see without glasses. <laughs> I um, wrote that down actually. <laughs> it's like, why would you take the glasses of the guy who can't see? Yeah, <laughs> And because he can't see, at first he thinks that she's an oxen moon, and that creates the central conflict of the whole movie. <laughs> Although, I can't blame him, because so far, there are two females on Earth. <laughs> in this movie. According to him. Yeah. No, according to this film, oh, everyone. Just cast your mind back. I, yeah, I got no, so excited when there's a third female character who doesn't speak and is uh, carrying drunk Winston through the bar. And I wrote it down. There are three women in this movie. Two speak, and one's a big lady with like a veil who doesn't speak. And that is it. <laughs> oh god. This entire country of men. <laughs> So he, because he can't see too good, she's like, wait, are you my girlfriend? I'm, I'm super hungover, bro. Which he would be, because he's all dried out, and that's what causes hangovers, is dehydration in the brain. So, he can barely see, light hurts him, he's cranky, he thinks she's the only other female character, which she is. He gets all, gets all built all of a sudden because he was like, he was a skinny prop mummy thing and now he's like six and a half feet tall and already has like pretty broad shoulders and looks a little ripped even though he's a mummy. <laughs> like he definitely out when they raised him from the dead. 
Because <laughs> that prop mummy was smaller than Brent Fraser, and this is not. Brent Fraser pops in and shoots it. <laughs> and the movie ends. They yep. saved him. Yeah. He kills him with the shotgun. It's over. Because, you know, I mean, guns weren't a thing 3,000 years ago, so obviously that wouldn't, that, you know, like I had a spear or whatever, that might have, that wouldn't kill him, but a gun, obviously that kills it. Yeah, that's, that's one so. of the things I wish they got into more of this, is just the things that he would have doesn't quite compute. Because he, he adjusts very quickly, but I would have some amusement about, like, what the shit, they're not here anymore? Like, they got in the car, but they got in a what? <laughs> and you know, just like... <laughs> Like, but because he's playing it, uh, everyone in the movie knows sort of like an action comedy, except Emotep. He's playing it so straight, and I love it. Um, which I think is important, because, like, you need a straight man in this sort of scenario. Normally, if you're one of the group, but in this case, it's the villain, and it still kind of works. <laughs> or, I mean, or is he the hero? Yeah, I mean, I'm still on his side at this point. <laughs> like, so far, all he's done is taking a grave robber's eyes and accidentally thought that his girlfriend was there because there's only two women in the world and he can't see right now. <laughs> but okay, so he, he also doesn't know that he's not attractive anymore. Like, he can't see. He hasn't seen himself. He probably still thinks he's gorgeous. Like, why is everyone running away from me? I'm Arnold Vosloop. <laughs> <laughs> he don't know. Uh, the ninjas show up to scold them. <laughs> uh, and I feel like how Rick's just like, don't worry, I got him. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like... Like, I would have like, put that as an altered ending in After the Credits or something, like, <laughs> an altered ending what? Like, door, I got, uh, oh, <laughs> a tense number, and that's the movie. <laughs> but no. <laughs> then we have the scene that really makes me like Benny a lot. Like, I kind of enjoy him already. 
I remember the scene from when I watched this in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's stuck down there. The mommy runs into him. And so he pulls out, he's got around his neck, like, religious pendants from seventy-four different world religions. <laughs> yeah. So, like, holds a cross out and tries to Lord's Prayer it away, and that doesn't work. So then he holds, like, the... the... The crescent moon and the star out, and I assume it's a real prayer. I don't know Arabic, but um, it's a Muslim prayer. It doesn't work. He pulls out uh, a little gold Buddha. He's just sort of like backing up, going through all of these. Prayers. And it's it's brilliant because like A, it shows this guy's action pretty smart. Like he speaks five or six languages, or at least exorcism spells in five or six languages. And also does a really good job of showing what kind of person he is. Because these are all kind of exclusive religions, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's a guy who has no trouble playing at loyalty and feeling none. <laughs> um, which has sort of been his whole character up to this point. But it's just, it's a great way to also kind of show it. And also show these clever and also make me like him because, like, he didn't just freak out and scream. He's like, I might have a plan for this, but I'm probably gonna die. <laughs> and it's very good. Mm-hmm. Finally, he gets to Star of David, and the mummy recognizes. Uh, Hebrew because they were slaves in Egypt uh, when he was still alive so he can talk to Benny because he only speaks dead languages from 5,000 years ago and Benny speaks the one that lasted so that's cool Mm -hmm. and so Imhotep also this is where I realized that he might not be a good guy because he's pretty racist because he assumes because Benny speaks Hebrew that he must be Jewish and offer some gold to help <laughs> and like Jesus dude you can't just eh, I mean you're old but you can't we don't make assumptions like that about people anymore, bro. <laughs> kind of fucked up. <laughs> also, you're a terrifying mummy monster. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> 
said, Mommy's racist. Uh, everyone runs back to town. There's the packing scene where Rick's like, We're leaving Egypt because we fucked over Egypt. She's like, We're not leaving Egypt, but I fucked over Egypt. <laughs> and, and, and he's doing the Han Solo thing, like, Not to me, sister. My contract ended when you brought back whatever, whatever. Which is cool because I like Han Solo. Yeah. Which is also clearly a, uh, 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 inspiration of the character. He also has a very problematic way of flirting <laughs> in Empire Strikes Back, which doesn't age that well. Um, <laughs> if you watch it, uh, we meet Winston, who might be my favorite character. He's the most tragic character I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Is he though? Like, God. the whole movie could have been about this guy. He's the last of the Royal British Air Force, or whatever they called it at the time, uh, left in. Cairo because all his friends died in World War One or whatever war was there. I don't know history. So he's old and he wants to die, but he's not like suicidal. He's just very regretful that he didn't get to go down in flames with all his hero friends. And he knows the only other woman in the world. Um, because I wrote it down this far. Like, oh, look. Female number three. <laughs> and he... He walks through the fountain twice because he's so drunk. He complains that someone spilled their drink and then... When he's coming back, walks right through it again and doesn't notice this time. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, but he's just Chekhov's gun. We're introducing him so we can use him later. But he's cool. Chekhov's pilot. Do we know the actor that plays him? Because he's just charming, but I don't know. Uh, I saw his name, but I don't. Hold on, let me look it up. I know I saw his name somewhere. Bernard Fox. He has also been... Where do I know him? He's in Titanic. He's 
the voice and the rescuers and the rescuers down under. Uh, huh. Looks like he might be dead. His last job was in 2011. Oh, he is dead, but he didn't die for another 15 years, so he just retired at some point. Hmm. He was in MASH. He was... Huh. He was on the Andy Griffith show. He was on Bewitched. Okay, so I don't know where I know heroes, but he's been a lot of things. Yeah. He has 112 acting credits, so he's he's been around. But he's good and I like him. (laughs) He's very good at being, he's good, very good at playing a very sad character. Yeah. So, but also, also funny. Like, he's got a good sense of humor about the character, has a good sense of humor about himself, and it bleeds through, you know? Yeah, that's true. Emotep books a meeting through his secretary, Benny. This would be the main character in my movie. Uh, to just meet up with poor blind no tongue guy whose friends are not taking care of him at all. They've just <laughs> left. Because he wants to uh, drain all his fluids out and turn him into one of the dummies from Life Force. And he does. <laughs> And I think that's not a joke, like I think those are the dummies from Life Force, the movie. (laughs) Uh, So he vampires all his fluids out, which there's sex jokes there. I don't feel the need to make them. And then all the booze turns into blood because now he has more of his Moses powers. Mm-hmm. There's a meteor shower. And who's he going after at this point? Because he sands out the window, but he's already killed someone else. Or is he just... Then he goes after the other Egyptologists. Right, right. But, but first, doesn't he... They scare him with a cat or something, and he... No, that's later. That's later, sorry. It's it's not that much later, actually. No, but he stands out the window twice. Sorry, that's what I was forgetting. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, was going after... Yeah, because he stands out the window twice, and I got them mixed up. Like, like yeah. he does once after he kills the first guy, and then he does again when he's doing a second weird sexual assault of the movie. Um, yeah. So, so they go to the 
the museum and get another info dump from Eric Kavari and Odin Fair. Turns out that both of them were together useless in keeping the mummy trapped. It's like, hey, I, I, my job is to be there also, and I'm not. And his job also is to be there, and he isn't. And we don't protect the place. We're mad at you. <laughs> and that's the long true of that scene. That's uh, also where we hear the is afraid of cats. No, shit. He, okay, he does run away because there's a cat. It's just there's an accidental cat this time. The cat he appears in there, and then, like, a cat just walks across the piano, and he freaks out and flies away. Which, also, why are you guys hanging out on ridges watching people, like, have a cat sanctuary on top of that fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I have so many strategies. Like, if he's afraid of cats, cats are so common. I don't know. Yeah. So they, they leave Evie, they lock her in her bedroom, and go for the Egyptologist. Uh, but he's getting. Chased in, in oddly, no one has surrounded themselves in cats. Mm-hmm. Is this where there's that really good throw where Brynn Fraser just hits Benny in the back of the legs with the chair because he's trying to get away? I believe that's. Uh, I think so. Yeah, because. Cause, shit, I can't remember. Cause I know that Brandon Fraser, at least one of the other, I think one of the other Americans goes with them to try and find the Egyptologist. I think it's Jonathan. Oh yeah, it was Jonathan. Sorry, it was Jonathan. The Americans are hanging back. Right. Out of yes. They got all the You're things right. the mommy wants in the same place, and they're not going to be there. Yeah. So no cats right. there. Yeah. So he he hucks a chair at Benny and just knocks him over. It's like, nice shot. It's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, they they figure out right away that uh that. Benny works for him. Mm-hmm. I also, I like the the chemistry back and forth between Rick and Benny in this, because, like, mm-hmm. like, they clearly kind of hate each other, but they're also kind of friends. Yeah, kind I of mean, they were friends up till Benny started backstabbing Rick, so... 
Yeah, but so Rick's killed like 13 people so far. <laughs> never killed many. So, so it's just like, he knows her like, you brought a friend back, didn't you, Benny? Or on, on the boat, he's like, Benny, it's you. And he's like, I don't have any other friends. You're my only friend. <laughs> it's very, like... <laughs> Like, they're sarcastic with each other, but they're not, like, they still don't seem like enemies for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. But I did like the part where, um, where Rick was sort of threatening Benny by holding him up close to this, you know, metallic spinning fan up at the top of the top of the ceiling like several times he would just sort of raise him up towards the the fan just so Benny would start talking more like that's mildly terrifying Brian Fraser is so much bigger than this actor also, this is like, I think the last time we've seen the mummy in his cool face mask thing, so people can't tell he's a mummy. I yeah. want that to be a longer segment of the movie. That was cool. It was a good mm-hmm. look. The disguise. Yeah, Cairo thing. I want the uh, the fish out of water mummy bits. <laughs> so he he vampires the other Egyptologist who didn't know to flee on his own. So he's just out in alleyways. <laughs> and now he can spit locusts, but never comes up again. He just does once to <laughs> forget a crowd and leave. Yeah, that's fine. It's kind of cool, but I do like the. Uh, I mean, they only use this effect like two or three times, but that sort of jaw effect thing that they did with the CGI to like make his jaw sort of you know elongate so it can spit out stuff or just roar at things. I kind of, I thought that was pretty decent. Yeah, I like it when he's still sort of decomposed. When he's just back to being all Basel, it looks silly. But when he's, yeah. when it's still a, a mummy mouth, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. Good. Like, just unhinge his jaw so he can yell louder. <laughs> so, back at the hotel, they've oddly not surrounded themselves in cats. He gets the second to last guy. This time he stays a, a sandstorm and does the vampiric mist thing. Uh, he's just vampire as hell. Also, he pours through the keyhole as sand instead of mist. Like, that's a scene <laughs> directly from Dracula. 
But that's one when Owner Ryder's in there and he's about turned a bunch of rats or something. But so I get what they're doing. It's fine. I like Dracula and I like the mummy. It's okay. Kisses in her sleep. There's like six kisses in this movie and one is consensual. It's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> but now he has a zombie NPC mob where I guess everyone in the movie except the main characters are all mind controlled by boils and it doesn't explain why or how that happens or why it doesn't happen to the main characters. Yeah. And also, is it also the British soldiers or is it just everyone who lives there? Like, it's weird. It's, it's all men. There are no women in this movie. It's all men and it's all the, like, the Middle Eastern men who live there. Because they're all dressed the same. There's no white people soldiers. There's no women. There's no characters you recognize. But everyone else is a zombie. Yeah. That's, that's, you pretty much nailed it right there. But why? (laughs) Because, it's, I, I mean, I would imagine that the, the boils made me re, like, genetic. I it could be. I mean, like if they were descendants of people from Egypt can get infected, but no one else gets. It's weird, so. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't think of any other reasoning why that would happen. I mean, that's the most logical explanation for that one. And also, if it's not the British troops, where are the British troops? They're in a fort right now. Yeah, they don't really seem to give a shit, do they? Yeah. They're just kind of off doing their own thing. I mean, holding off unarmed crowds of natives is what British troops do best. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's... That's all they've trained for. (laughs) (laughs) But they were armed. Some of them had, like, sticks. Yeah, but that's that's the favored opponent of the British military (laughs) around this time. It's like, you get a bunch of rifles and automatic weapons and shoot guys with sticks. I saw Shaka Zulu. (laughs) <laughs> oh god. I mean, I, I, I hope what I think of these people is coming through in my descriptions. 
but it does it all just sort of a, a plot of the movie thing. Like, yeah, where is everyone? So, A, I don't respect colonialism. B, where are the colonialists? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, they get in a car and drive through the mob. They do the, the gag where Jonathan pretends to be a zombie by just repeating their chant. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like Jonathan's movie. I can see why people would find him very obnoxious. I like him a lot. I was, I, at first, I was kind of like, uh, great, it's another one of those sort of bumbling comic relief characters, but he actually turned out to be a pretty entertaining character, and that was actually that scene where he pretended to be one of their followers just to sort of back through and get in the car. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Well, he's got, he's got a good combination of things that make him a little more believable to me, because he's like, okay, yes, he's the sort of buffoon brother, but he's not. He's like a genius brother who respects nothing, acts like a buffoon all the time because he thinks it's funny, who's clearly an alcoholic and also rich his entire life and it kind of makes sense like okay now I get him he's he's a guy from the phantom who just fucked off to Europe for a while for no reason you know but like it, it comes clear when he like, he can read almost as many languages as his sister. He kind of just enjoys what he's doing, and he's a, a rich brat who's having fun and doesn't... Nothing has stakes. And I get that. Like, he's kind of charming. He's... Yeah. He's also always in his silly costumes, like he has his, his knee socks and his... What, what do they call that helmet? That, that British Explorer-ass oh, helmet? I don't know what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. like the... Because he has that in the first scene, it's just like, okay, he's this guy. Like, he's just... <laughs> yeah. Dicking around, and then when he actually needs to risk himself to do something important, he does, but he's not gonna stop dicking around. Like, <laughs> like you know, I, I, I like him, I actually like him. He, they use him exactly sparingly enough that he doesn't wear a thin for me, at least. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, they get the last guy because they they pull him out of the uh, the car again. No cat. Where are your cats, guys? 
apparently he needs a female sacrifice specifically and there are no other females in this movie. Yeah, it was like, I need your organs to, to make, um, my, my girlfriend come back to life because, like, male organs, she'll come back as a dude and that'd be weird because she didn't ask for that and that's, that's a big decision, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so he needs to, he needs to kill Evie because she got lady parts. I guess they don't actually specify why it has to be her, but I think that's honestly the only reason why they would even consider doing that. It's just because, like, hey, she's, she's a woman, he assumes, because he still has those shitty eyes. Uh, so, I guess that's what just has to happen. Like, they have to... Yeah, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a necromancer, but, like, I bet you can reconstruct boobs with male peck blood. Like, that's not that different. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is, but... I want dick blood in my girlfriend's vagina, okay? Like, no, just... <laughs> You're raising the dead, man, up. Like... I have to figure out how to work Dr. Necromancer into some sort of character later on. <laughs> like a Dr. Necromancer something. Necromancer MD. Necromancer is his last name. <laughs> Yeah, he's just Dr. Necromancer. <laughs> it's just a um, name. Also, I do have death magic, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a coincidence. <laughs> what was that comic that was really popular for? Like, Dr. McNinja or something? Back to just being Arnold Vasa, which is cool because Arnold Vasa is gorgeous, but he doesn't look as cool as he did with his job being all fucked up still. They drive away, the zombie PC mob can't sewer. <laughs> Eric Amari dies because he got a sword three or four people who I guess are innocent, they're just mind controlled, but he kills them. <laughs> but I do like the the confrontation between him and uh, Arthur Bay by the other guy. It's like, oh, and 
just to save the world, he would kill his people. Like, yes! <laughs> Obviously, yes! Are you an idiot? <laughs> For some reason, even though these zombie horde has been appearing around corners and can apparently teleport everywhere in the city, they can't do the same underground. So, our, our heroes, Sans, Evie, get away by going into the sewers, even though, like, million of these guys and they don't show how they get away this time, which I guess I didn't need, but I don't buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. And go to see Winston, who I guess left early enough yesterday that none of this affected him, because now <laughs> he's back out the airfield with his like, just his boy. Um, <laughs> same as the Phantom has. <laughs> you're going to let you go and you get a boy. He <laughs> holds your umbrella while you listen to music in the sand. He's gonna help them get out there quickly because Prince Fraser promises him a chance to die. <laughs> and I love Winston. <laughs> Nothing else happens between here and like the plain sandwall scene, right? It's just pretty straight jump. Yeah, well, they. They have some sort of discussion about something, but I don't remember what it was. But yeah, then, uh, but yeah, then Imhotep and Evie are at the dig site, and he wants to raise up the, yeah, it's, it's about sunrise. Uh, and then he sees the plane flying over, and then he creates the sand wall thing, which is another one of those effects that I remember. One of the scenes I remember from the movie. Emotep brought, has brought Benny and Evie, so Emotep also has a boy. His boy is <laughs> Benny. <laughs> he just has him. Doesn't need him anymore. Evie speaks ancient Egyptian, but mm-hmm. he's just better than dragging him around at this devil. Sorry. They say she speaks she speaks ancient Egyptian better than Benny does. Yeah. And like corrects him a few times when he's when he's trying to translate for Imhotep and she's like, no. She's like, she says something like, uh, he wants your hand forever 
And she says, no. He said, wants my hand for all eternity. He gives him this scowl. It's like, I don't know. Well, I like how Benny actually, he takes me like, oh shit, I did do that wrong. Like he's, <laughs> even now, he's like, but I want to do a good job. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like Benny. I identify with Benny. <laughs> if, a, if a mummy threatened me if I didn't help him, I might. I don't know. <laughs> He's doing the math, like, okay, is, is he not going to succeed if I don't help him? Because otherwise it's a watch. <laughs> uh, so there's a, there's a fairly clear there's jumping off a platform out of CGI dust hole, but it's okay. <laughs> makes giant wall of sand to try to take down Winston's plane and succeeds but then Evie sadly assaults him to stop him there are no consensual kisses in this movie she also chooses to kiss him instead of uh Hitting him, stabbing him, putting sand in his mouth, anything that would just like poke him in the eye. <laughs> she kisses him. Knee <laughs> him in the crotch, you know, kick him in the shins, anything else. Yeah, and I guess he's still immortal now, everyone says, but there's no evidence of it yet. No one's tried to kill him and failed. <laughs> like, like, he's got all his organs back as of last night, so... So it's unclear whether or not she just missed a golden opportunity to just hit him with a rock and stop the whole thing. <laughs> so they go back into the tomb, the the, sh the airplane crash. Winston dies because he's old and then the entire airplane sinks, sinks into quicksand which I guess can happen after sandstorms, actually. Like, I, I, I did some research on quicksand, not for this show, just because I don't like doing what I'm actually supposed to be doing in life in general. Um, and it's not just water. Like, apparently, if there's a big storm, quicksand can also be because there's too much air sort of trapped in between the sand particles. So these are the conditions where quicksand could happen. So I'll give it that. I thought it was dumb. It's actually still kind of dumb, but not as dumb as I thought. Hmm. 
but so once the sink's in sand, but he's already dead, so it's just a burial, it's fine. The two who were strapped to the wings for some reason don't. Um, even though that seems like a much less safe place to crash land. <laughs> I don't know why Rick was in the back seat and Jonathan wasn't, because Rick and Ardeth are clearly the not frail ones, but they strapped poor Jonathan to the way. <laughs> This effect aged okay, I think. The sand wall face. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it was, it, it was alright. I don't, I don't hate it. They, they what? So they go back into the tomb. All the drawings from mummies also. Like, he raises a bunch of mummies to just be minions and help. But I think those were his... I thought there was... Oh, I thought those were his, like, his, um... The priests that were buried along with him, like, 3,000 years ago. Yeah, I think those are. But at first, it is they crawl out of the ground where you expect them to be. But then he also, at some point... There's just a bass relief, bass relief, um, like the engraving on the wall with two guys on it and mummies bust out of that. Which like they were buried behind the wall. It's weird. I don't know. They're also, they're not like strong or anything. They're not break through stone strong, but. No, they're kind of weird looking rubbery mummy things. Yeah. They're cool. This is the first time they've been like mummies, cause, cause. Yeah. Even the main character mummy didn't have the, the bandages that I need to identify someone as a mummy. So. <laughs> so now there's actual mummies and it's gonna be a, 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 a rip-roaring-y, swashbuckling good time. <laughs> Soon. They find the uh, the the Bionomicon, which is the other book of the book of life, because Evie knew it was going to be there. She figured that out back in the museum when there were zombies, and I forgot to mention it because there were zombies. Yeah. And now there's zombies that are mummies, and it's a big zombie fight. Uh, Odin Fares sacrificed himself, and this is the end. This is like the last ten minutes of the movie. It, mm-hmm. It's 
it's pretty well paced. I don't have that many notes because it all kind of makes sense. Like it's a lot of running and jumping and avoiding traps and, and fighting mummies that are harrying them all the time. Uh, they get to the ritual room. Right, they can't open the Bionomicon because they don't have the key. Because Emotive has the key still. Right. So they have to go to the ritual, get it from him to open the book to kill him. And they do. Because he's brought back an ox and a moon. She's still a mummy, so she's chasing Evie around while Rick's fighting zombies, while Jonathan's trying to open the book, and it's it's good pacing, but it yeah. feels kind of light. Like I never think any of these characters are gonna die. It's got that kind of that thirties action humor there's there's punches and sword fights and whatnot but no one's getting hurt you know mm -hmm. um, which I don't yeah. in this context mind <laughs> yeah definitely the the part where Jonathan's trying to open the open the book and trying to translate the book and he's like trying to he, he's totally oblivious to the fact that his sister is being chased around by a mummy but he's like hey what does this torrent translate to and she's like what does it look like she's being chased around and he's like like a like a bird Stork. Oh, that's what that is. You know, it's like he's totally fucking oblivious of all this stuff that's going on around him. Well, like, he's, he he's, that. he's keeping cool, is what I would say. Yeah, well, no, that's 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 a much that's a much better description. Not panicking because he needs to read this thing. Yeah. There's random incarn incantations that do different things. Like, he reads the thing, it lets him take over, or lets him summon better mummy zombies. Yeah. With, with swords like, and stuff. With, like, swords and shields and armor and stuff. Yeah. And uh, Imhotep initially takes over for them, but I guess Jonathan finds a passage that lets him take over, take take them over. Yes, yeah, like he lets spell to summon useless minions that won't do what you say, then one spell to make them useful minions, which is weird, but alright. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he has them destroy Nox and Moon, so Enoch will get mad and 
start throwing Rick around. I'm not sure why that's a plan, but then they, they say the other spell that makes him mortal again, and then he... Is there anything else I should mention? He fall on stabs himself. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And, you know, by this point, Rick has a big golden sword. He took off a statue and he's cutting mummies' heads off and cutting them in half. And there's, like, a, there's a fun scene where one's about to squish him and he falls on the ground and he can't reach his sword. But mummy hand that he cut off earlier is, like, skittering around. Then he grabs the sword, he grabs the hand, and then he uses that to cut mommy leg off. Mommy drops a stone on himself. And it's just, it's good, it's good, silly action. Yeah. But eventually they win. Imhotep is mortal, and they kills him. Because he runs into Rick's sword on his own. <laughs> Um, after they cast the spell, it looks like a, uh, it's like a CGI cart comes down, and it looks like that Final Fantasy Spirits Within thing, where it, like, runs through him and pulls his soul out, but it doesn't pull his soul out, it pulls his powers out, but his powers look like him. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they kill him and then he falls into the terrible CGI water mm -hmm. and, and says his Vigo on again <laughs> well no um, no uh, Evie says the line I think one of them says it not him well, he says it and she translates. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and then... <laughs> Benny actually hits the city's self-destruct <laughs> Which is a thing. Well, wasn't he... Wasn't, like, throughout this entire time, like, he was trying to, like, steal a bunch of stuff and like take it out to just like a pax and a iconic oh, camel just so we had to steal camels that are just fucking there because the way people got here is via plane and dust devil <laughs> so where are these camels from Camels have spawned outside. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's. I don't know. It's been cutting back and forth. He's grabbing like sackfuls of gold stuff and and pulling them out and putting them on the camel because he's a forward thinker. Benny is. Yeah, where are the camels from? God, I ask you, <laughs> listeners. 
right on our Facebook page. Where the fuck are these camels from? <laughs> like, did they leave them there? Like, are these the dead NPCs from Florida eaten by locusts like two days ago and they just left their camels? Like, we don't need camels, they aren't valuable or anything, it's just fucking lacking here. I know camels can survive in the desert for a long time, so I guess that's possible. Why would they do that? I, I don't know. I'm mad about it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> oh, it was gonna come up in a couple seconds anyway. <laughs> It's this self-destruct button on the fucking city. <laughs> and everything starts falling apart. Jonathan loses the book so that we can't have cool supernatural stuff in their future. <laughs> Benny gets stuck in a room where... Rick still tries to save him because they're so kind of friends, <laughs> but fails to. And then he's he's locked in a big treasure chamber with all his gold, but no way to get out. And his torch is guttering out, and you think like, oh, it's it's gonna be so poetic because. You want all this gold, and I have all the gold in the world, but you can't yeah. spend it, and you're stuck exactly. down there forever. But then they're like, no, that's too dark bugsy. <laughs> which is... <laughs> it's, it's like... Which is fine. But yeah, it's like, it reminded me of Joe's apartment. The scene where it's just like, scarabs are pouring out of everything. It's like... Oh God! Oh yeah, it, it reminded me. It was starting to remind me of the um, the end of like Game of Thrones season two, where they lock him in the vault. I I haven't seen more than like two episodes of Game of Thrones. Oh, so I don't know what you're talking about. But okay, cool that thing. Well, I can confidently recommend the first half of that series, but I wouldn't stick with it after four or five. <laughs> Alright. It falls off dramatically. Well, isn't that when it stops sort of following the books, right? Yeah, it's around the same time where they're just like, we can handle this. Like, you can't. You totally can't. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those weird things where I, because I liked it so much at the beginning, I'm mad at it. You know? <laughs> like, there's, there's... I like bad movies. I like good movies. I like bad shows. I like good shows. I don't like shows that start out fantastic and then fall to crap before ending. Yeah. That bugs me. Yeah. Um, 
and Game of Thrones is one of those. But the first four seasons, solid recommend. Okay. Maybe the first five, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, eaten by bugs, place explodes. Mm-hmm. Turns out Arden's back and he's alive. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how he survived because he threw himself at like a half a dozen mummies. Yeah, they like, all seemed fairly ineffective, actually. Cause like, it seemed like it seemed like they weren't really doing a lot of damage, but it also seemed like no one could. Well, at least at that point, when they were first fighting, that like they weren't killing them, or at least they weren't doing a very good job of stopping the mummies from coming. But I don't know. Maybe just maybe Imhotep dying killed off all the other mummies too. Well, they're like those dead alive style zombies where all their pieces are still alive. Mm. Uh, so yeah. it was a. Like. They had a lot of trouble stopping them, but it didn't seem like they were that strong, except that one part where Rick is held down by one so he finished the funny sword thing. Yeah. But other than that, it's like you're fighting a bunch of, like, 15-pound carcasses. Because that's how yeah. much money actually weighs. <laughs> Which, like, I, I compare no, that I to other undead minions in movies. Like, I'll, I'll fight mummies. That's... <laughs> I think I can womp them hard enough they turn to <laughs> dust or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But so, Artist's still alive and he shows up just to say like, Hey, we're not mad. Good job. <laughs> the magic camels, they're just here. You can have them. And... I'm gonna take off cause I'm cool and he does (laughs) they kiss Uh, Rick and Evie kiss Jonathan makes as if to kiss a camel it's very funny I like you Jonathan (laughs) And then they ride off literally into the sunset, but for a moment it it lingers on the gold sticking out of the back of the camel, so it turns out they're going to be rich. Um, They can go on and have supernatural adventures in the future, which they do make two sequels. One's pretty good, one's okay, and then Van Helsing should have been the adventures of Jonathan, but wasn't. Um, and that's... The Mummy. Well, I mean, wasn't... Wasn't Jonathan Harker a character in Van Helsing? No. 
No, oh. he's a character in... in uh, I know he's a character in Dracula. Dracula. Okay, I didn't no, know if no, he was I'm also just... a character in... Eh, whatever. Well, because in the sequel, near as I can remember it, also noteworthy because of the oddly healthy relationship between uh, Rick and Evie in that, because they're married and they're in love and they don't have to have a weird plot where they're not in love for a second, like, and there's no will-they-won't-they they bullshit, which is the only romantic subplots most movies have. And Uncle Jonathan's just this weird guy who apparently goes around. They're like more prepared at that point because they know the supernatural stuff is around. I want to see the adventures of drunken Uncle Jonathan just like fighting <laughs> whatever, fighting Dracula's in Eastern Europe in 1934. Because like, hell yeah, the like once you kill the mummy and so I'm like, well now I'm gonna go be an actuary. Like, you know, okay, I guess this is what I do now, you know? Yeah, be don't do that. I would very much enjoy that. If he kept the Book of Life, which I feel like they did for the, the cartoon series, which I didn't actually see, because there was a cartoon series based on after the second movie where like an artifact from the second movie is a major plot point that keeps them going around stopping different things oh and I feel like there was there's there's some fertile ground there that they tap into a little bit in the second movie, which isn't as good, I don't think, but still okay. And the third movie, which is downright bad. <laughs> and doesn't have Rachel Weisz in it. Like, she jumped shit because she knew it was going to be bad, and it was. <laughs> there's also a, uh, a, there's a Yeti in it. It goes off the rails. It... Well... Like the abominable snowman, Yeti. Well, okay. Now, here's where I'm gonna tie that all together. Cause... Okay. Alright. Okay. Um, stick with me here. This is this is more, more wrestling. This is more totally. wrestling stuff. So I'm sorry I'm if back if out. This alien hates everybody. Okay, fell off. Okay. <laughs> no, so okay, so okay. There's um, there was this time back in like I think it was like 1995 or 96, something like that, where um, rock. Dwayne Johnson, he's in the sequel. Uh, no, he wasn't involved in this. This was WCW back in like 95 or so, where, um, or 96 or something, where there was, they, 
they were like advertising this character that was like it was supposed to be a yeti character but you know this what the fuck yeah i know i don't 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 even don't question and um like on one of the pay-per-views one of the big shows of the year uh it's revealed like during the main event like he walks down to the ring and starts attacking Hulk Hogan but he's 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 called the Yeti but he's a mummy very obviously he's just a guy wrapped in dirty paper towels and stuff so that's how that is related to uh, a yeti being in the fourth mummy movie it all makes sense i guess it do and also sting and the crow yeah see i mean all connected See in the manatee-verse. Yeah. See, people don't give wrestling enough credit for being as inventive as it can be. In this case, it actually inspired uh, part of a terrible movie, apparently. So, there you go. You're welcome. I don't know who I'm welcoming, but you are for that little tidbit of information. Yeah, no, and I I appreciate it. I don't watch wrestling because... No, I don't blame All you. All the stories I hear about it are things like that. And no, I for most part, it's terrible. <laughs> I'll freely admit, like, I mean, like, I don't really watch it anymore. I don't watch it anymore either. Just, like, weird shit like that gets stuck in my head. Like, also the fact that RoboCop was also involved in wrestling at one point. You see, now I'm back in. Yeah. (laughs) So, and actually, you know, because he actually, because he walks down and he has to bend open the, the bars of a shark cage to rescue Sting. Is a shark? No, no, no. No, he, he's in a shark cage because uh. they don't want him to interfere in this match. So Robocop comes down and he bends open the bars so Sting can go and interfere in the match. So it all ties together. Huh. I mean, I guess I should have been watching wrestling, because that sounds like way more wrestling than what I thought it was. 
But Sam, what do you think of The Mummy? Do you love this movie as much as I do? I think I would probably have liked this movie more if I wasn't sleep deprived and if I didn't have to watch it like just before we started recording. Right. I think it was it was um it was a good breezy movie, like there was no real downtime except for the info dumps and those were pretty brief. Um, yeah, those were, like, they were conversational, at least. There wasn't, like, yeah. a whole sequence or anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you mentioned before, I think the chemistry between a lot of the characters was great. Uh, the chemistry between, like, uh, Brennan Fraser and... Uh, uh, I can't remember Benny's actor character, Kevin something. Benny's character Connor. Yes, they yeah. had great chemistry. Um, Brenda Fraser and Rachel Vice had great chemistry. Rachel Vice and John Hanna, I think, had great chemistry. It was just. It was a strong cast all over. I think parts of the CGI were okay. Some of it wasn't. But, you know, that's what happens when it's 1999. It's a new medium, basically. Um, Honestly, the the sand looked okay. Mm -hmm. The... The only thing that looked like awful, I thought, was the uh, the the water and weird spirit stuff. Uh, yeah. Everything else was somewhere in between. I thought he was passable, but the practical effects they should have leaned into more. So those were great. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing was the only... Sorry, let me try that again. Um, it wasn't, like... Like, there were definitely certain scenes that were, to me, memorable. Like the... Like the, the scarab... Uh, crawling into the jailer's skin sort of scene. Um, That was memorable. Like, the the sand face thing is memorable. But most of the other parts of the movie I didn't really remember from when I watched it 20 years ago. So... It's not like a super memorable movie, but it's enjoyable to watch. I think that's like it's it's a good sort of silly fun romp, I guess. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that comports with mine. I, I don't know how many times I've seen this, but it's just one of those movies that I own, so I put on a lot because it paces so well, I think. Hmm. Yeah, when I, I like, when I, um, when I initially looked at the runtime and I saw this movie was two hours and five minutes long, I thought, oh dear God. But it didn't feel like a two hour movie. It felt like a really brisk, briskly paced movie. It was like, like I said, there was very little downtime. But it also didn't feel like it was sort of overloading with action or anything like that. It was like, it was a good mix of like action and um, talking and comedy and all sorts of stuff sort of mixed together. Yeah. And I also, when I was up in uh, Washington State, um, I based a D&D campaign on this, and no one knew, because no one else had seen as much as I had, and it totally works for that. Nice. So I'm very proud of myself. Because it has fucking clerics and paladins in it already. Yeah. That's a good point. And necromancers. And kind of druids. Yeah. Huh. Well, that was the mummy. Or, yes, I'm sorry. Sorry, if you were about to say something else, I'm no, I, late. I so. think that was it. So. Okay. That was the mummy. Yeah. I'm a fan. I give it two uh, malformed flippers up. I would give it one and a half, because the only thing that the only thing that I wasn't really a big fan of was that it just most of the stuff that I didn't remember from twenty years ago just didn't seem all that consequential. Gotcha. So you forgot it because it's forgettable? Yeah, and like a lot of the fight scenes for me are just sort of like, yeah, they're just sort of fight scenes. There was nothing like super memorable about a lot of the fight scenes. They just sort of happened like, oh, a lot of people are shooting at each other. Oh, people are, you know, swing swords at each other but it never felt like there was anything super memorable about a lot of the fight scenes gosh so but other than that like you know it's it's an enjoyable movie so yeah 
definitely go check it out. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for watching the movie I wanted to watch. You know, no. I'll get the I'll get the I'm gonna be away from all of my electronics except for my phone for a couple weeks here, just because I'm because it's holidays and I'm going back uh, back home. But I'm gonna get that that pull up for Patreon listeners to uh, to select our medieval fantasy wonk movie. Ooh, um, nice. So, do we have like a, a, do we have a do we have a list of finals finalists? I do. I don't remember what is off the top of my head, but I narrowed it down to four. Nice. So, so keep an eye out for that. For. The, the folks who are at the, I think it's $2 level or above. Hell yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the one. Maybe it's anyone. Maybe I should lower that bar because it seems like a lot more people are willing to, to give one a month than two, which makes good sense to me because it's a hundred percent increase at that level. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hell, um, yeah. that's that's been Matinee Manatees. Sorry if the sound's a little off. It's a new setup, and we're trying it out. <laughs> Say again. No, I was, I was just laughing. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in, until next time, I've been Ben. I've ben. been Sleepy Sam. He's been Sleepy Sam. And you've been listening to Matinee Manatees. And I love you. That was very, very direct, very, um, very strong, strongly worded, strongly said. I'm getting confident in my feelings. That's the word I was looking for, very confident. I could not think of the word confidence there. Getting it. Good. I'm I'm glad one of us has that. you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matinee manatees. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, the Stitcher app, or on YouTube. 
Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and hundreds of others on his website in Thanks for listening. <laughs>